This episode is brought to you by the members and donors of the Best of the Left podcast. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Onion News Network, The Young Turks, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Daily Show, and Countdown. today as a 17-year-old honors student burned alive after being hit by an out-of-control speeding car, a grisly death only TV host Glenn Beck could deserve. According to police, a car driving over 70 miles per hour in a 25-mile-per-hour zone struck young Rebecca Bunton as she was bicycling down a quiet street in Olathe, Kansas, shattering her ribcage and not Glenn Beck's, tragically pinning her legs, not his, to a retaining wall. Calvin Dale lives just a few blocks from the scene of the accident. I heard screaming, and I thought it was just someone doing an accurate impression of Glenn Beck talking normally, but then I saw the smoke. EMT Craig Anton was first on the scene. I jumped out of the ambulance, and I ran to the wreckage to make sure that uh, the victim was still breathing, or else was Glenn Beck. At this impromptu vigil, friends said Rebecca was a lively girl with a bright future, a good friend who hated Glenn Beck and loved to dance. She was just a normal kid. She wasn't some fat, dumb Mormon fuckface who should have drank herself to death when she had the chance. She was so beautiful, she didn't even have little pig eyes. Among those expressing their grief and confusion was the victim's mother. There is no harder thing than to have Glenn Beck outlive your child. I would give anything for this to have happened to Glenn Beck instead. Glenn Beck. The terrible tragedy hits especially hard following the Rottweiler mauling of someone besides Glenn Beck in Milwaukee yesterday and the revelation that Glenn Beck was not the man trampled to death at a street carnival in Rio de Janeiro Sunday. criticizes someone on the right, uh, they feel that uh, way to, of course, uh, make it even and pretend that they are doing news or journalism and uh, being uh, neutral is by criticizing someone on the left. Now, this is an old strategy uh, of the media, but in this case, it's not the media that's doing it. It's George H.W. Bush. Uh, he's going to go and have um, an appearance uh, with Barack Obama, and uh, uh, it's a Texas A&M, and earlier, a, a conservative group at Texas A&M had this carnival where they threw eggs at an Obama poster and it lacked civility. But really, George H.W. Bush used that as an opportunity to talk about the lack of civility in the media overall and what he called the cables. And really, he's mainly referring to Fox News Channel. But of course, as a Republican, he can't say that and not catch a whole lot of flack. So he says the cables, and then he points in the direction of MSNBC as well, right? So give you that false parody and to make sure it doesn't catch heat for only attacking Fox. So now uh, he used some questionable language, which we're going to play for you here. Rachel Maddow ran it on her program and then uh, had a conversation about it, which I found to be amusing. So let's show you uh, Bush's statements from Rachel's show. Here we go. In a follow-up interview with CBS Radio today about that call for civility, the former president out of nowhere, volunteered his own theory on where the breakdown in civil discourse is coming from. I don't like it. I think the cables have a lot to do with it. I think back to when I was president, we got tons of criticism, but didn't seem day in and day out quite as personal as some of these talk show people. And it's not just the right. There's plenty of people on the left. If you want me to name a couple of names, I'll be glad to do that for you. Go ahead. Keith Oberman and Rachel Maddow. I mean, here's a couple of sick puppies. 
reached for comment while trying on his adorable Halloween costume, my puppy said, er? Sorry. Why is the former president calling me and Keith Olbermann sick puppies? I honestly do not know, but here's what he said next. And uh, the, way they, the way they treat my son and treat anybody that's opposed to their point of view is just horrible. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, is there irony in uh, Bush saying that people shouldn't name call as he calls Overman and Maddow sick puppies? Yes, I would put that in the irony category. Uh, and then, uh, is there false parody in comparing the Fox News to Overman and Maddow? Especially when you're talking about lack of civility. Look, get your facts straight at least. You know, you can say what you like about Keith Overman, and he has a lot of bombast, uh, bombast I'm, I like, but you might not like. But Rachel Maddow is just about the most civil person on television. And if you watch two minutes of her show or any period of her show, it would be comical to call her, to say that she lacks civility. No. You can criticize other things. You cannot criticize that. I mean, that is the definition of false parody. Beck and Maddow, please. You can disagree with them, but they are doing totally different shows. Uh, now, uh, you know, he, she had Oberman on the show, and then they talked about it a little bit, and Oberman made some very good points. One, it, he said, look, it's, he probably didn't like what we said about his son. <laughs> okay? And he's right, and, and he's being magnanimous by saying that. Uh, I'm sure Fox News wouldn't view it the same way if it was a Democratic president criticizing them. They wouldn't be talking about his legitimate feelings, right? So as a father, you know, it's tough to see your son uh, take it on the chin like that. Uh, and you have to rationalize it by thinking, well, it wasn't my son's fault. It was those sick puppies who were criticizing him. That's definitely right. But Oberman's second point is the one that impressed me. He reminded me, and I have to be reminded of this from time to time because, as some of you know, uh, I used to like George H.W. Bush, and I still do to some degree. Um, He's like, look, he's the guy who started it. Now, what do you, why, how, right? Well, he's the guy who hired Roger Ailes for his campaign. Roger Ailes is the guy who now runs Fox News Channel. Roger Ailes is the guy who signed off on all the attack ads, along with Lee Atwater, where they pummeled Michael Dukakis, including Willie Horton. You know, black man was released on a furlough. Oh, is Dukakis going to release black men all over the country on furloughs who are going to go on crime sprees? And you see that theme over and over and over again. Who's the guy who sanctioned that? George H.W. Bush. Who's the guy he hired? Roger Ailes. And, uh, and you want to talk about lack of civility. George W. Bush and Karl Rove and making it personal. They made it personal about everybody. And so Bush, I suppose, in the end is insecure about what he has spawned. And say what you like about his policies. And I like some of his foreign policy. But what he spawned is ugly. It's very, very ugly. And now that it's grown to adult size, he doesn't like it. And he has to find a, a unique and bizarre way of criticizing it here. It's just killing the left wing in this country that they can't force CNN to fire me. That was somebody back on August 14th mocking those who wanted him gone. Then this week, he was gone. <laughs> who is it? That was Lou Dobbs. It was. Mr. Dobbs. 
Uh, Mr. Dobbs announced his sudden resignation from CNN on Wednesday. He said of his future, quote, I'm considering a number of options and directions. Industry Insider said the real reason was he wanted to spend more time with the family of his illegal alien gardener. <laughs> We, we anticipate, though, because where else is he going to go? Because we anticipate him regretting the decision and trying to return to CNN. It'll be tough, though, as CNN is now building a fence around its borders. <laughs> just to keep people like him out. You know? I, think, uh, I think he just realized that he wasn't on Fox. Really? Yeah. And he's like, what? Oh, wait a minute. He's I'm in the wrong network. That's true. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. Fox says, Fox says that they haven't been talking to him. So. No, well, he's been auditioning for them for the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> Down in Bowery, they lose their ball eyes and their lip mouths in the night. And stumbling through the street, they say, Sir, do you got a light? And if you do, then you're my friend. And if you don't, then you're my foe. And if you are a deity of any sort, then please don't go. Ne me quitte pas, mon cher. Ne me quitte pas. Down in Lexington, they walk in new shoes stuck to aging feet and close their eyes and open and I recognize the aging street and think about how things were right when they were young and veins were tight and if you are the ghost of Christmas past then won't you stay the night? The escalating war of words between the Obama White House and one of the country's major news organizations. What had been a battle between White House aides and the Fox News Channel ratcheted up a level as President Obama himself has now stepped into the fray. During an interview with NBC White House correspondent Savannah Guthrie, President Obama commented for the first time publicly about the ongoing feud between his administration and Fox News. What our advisors have simply said is, is that um, we are going to take uh, media as it comes. And if media is operating basically as a talk radio format, then that's one thing. And if it's operating as a, uh, as a news outlet, then that's another. Uh, but it's not something I'm losing a lot of sleep over. Over the past week, White House aides have been in a verbal war with the Fox News Channel, calling Fox, quote, opinion journalism masquerading as news, calling it the communications arm of the Republican Party, calling it, quote, not really a news station. It's a war that has gotten quite a lot of publicity lately, and it's a war that, frankly, has not been um, all that bad of news for Fox News itself. After the president and his advisors made their case against Fox, that network has run with it and run with it in an attempt to presumably try to glean some commercial success from it. Sean Hannity, for example, is now branding his show not White House approved. And one of the ways that Fox has decided to go after the White House on this is by going after Keith Olbermann and me. On Monday of this week, Keith and I were part of a big group of commentators and columnists who attended an off-the-record meeting at the White House. Our attendance at that meeting has been breathlessly reported by Fox News as some sort of smoking gun evidence of a double standard by the White House. A White House official confirms to us that the audience for Monday's off-the-record briefing with President Obama included MSNBC personalities Keith Oberman and Rachel Maddow. And now we learn the president spent two and a half hours on Monday, two and a half hours meeting with the far left media people. In addition, the president, David Axelrod, Rahm Emanuel, Robert Gibbs, sat down with three columnists from the New York Times, two MSNBC commentators, as well as a variety of other committed left-wingers. I think that the news-consuming audience ought to know what was discussed. Yeah. Uh, we ought to know, and it ought to be disclosed what was discussed by those attendees but, when uh, they talk about this White House and its policies. Apparently in this reporter gaggle was Rachel Maddow and Keith Olbermann who are opinion people over at MSNBC. I find that highly entertaining that they apparently were amongst these reporters and that they're officially uh, fair and balanced, apparently, according to the White House. Since Mr. Olbermann and I have been brought into this story by uh, Fox News, in this national story of White House versus Fox News, Fox News has decided to bring us into it. Let's set the record straight here um, on what's being alleged and how the presidential, how various presidential administrations handle the media. 
I have been in national talk radio since 2004. And during the Bush administration, I tried many times to get myself invitations to the White House when they held White House availabilities for administration staff or even meetings with the president for talk radio hosts. And although these meetings were billed as talk radio meetings, just talk radio meetings, they were always in practice during the Bush administration exclusively for right-wing talk radio hosts. So I could never get an invitation, much to my chagrin. Here, for example, is President Bush in the Oval Office in October of 2006, meeting with right-wing commentators Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, Michael Medved, Mike Gallagher, Neil Bortz. I'm sure they're all very nice and diverse people, but I don't actually know any of them, but I do know that there's not a liberal among them. Here's a nice little class photo of right-wing talk radio hosts when they met with President Bush in August of 2007. There's Mark Levin, Neil Bortz, Hugh Hewitt, Scott Hennon, Bill Bennett, Michael Medved, Glenn Beck, Lars Larson, and Janet Parshall. Parshall. This is what the Bush administration did, and they had every right to do it. They invited in talk radio hosts and columnists who agreed with them, and all of us who didn't agree with them were out of luck. Well, now it's the Obama era, and frankly, I did get an invitation to the White House, and the Obama administration also meets with conservatives, too. The last meeting like this that I was invited to was back in January, just before President Obama was inaugurated. It was roughly the same group of people who attended the meeting this week, give or take a few additions and subtractions. We met at the Obama transition office back in January. You want to know what happened the day after our meeting with the president-elect? He went to a gathering of conservative commentators at George Will's house in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Washington Post wrote it up at the time. They said, quote, during a three-hour dinner conclave, Obama charmed eight of the right's most prominent commentators. According to an Obama advisor at the time, Obama enjoys debating his ideological opponents more than his allies and plans further meetings with journalists of varying stripes during his term. Liberals could not get an invitation to meet with President Bush to save our lives. President Obama is now inviting us in. And he's also been talking to people on the right. You can be upset all you want that the president meets with people who you disagree with, but consider being fair and balanced in your criticism. At least admit that this White House has met with both sides, while the Bush White House did not. You should especially admit that if you happen to have been a member of the Bush White House during that administration. It is demeaning the office of the president by taking the president and moving him from a person who ought to be talking to everybody and, and communicating through every available channel to saying, if you oppose me, if you question me, if you're too tough on me, by gosh, me and my people are not going to come on. We're going to penalize you. And that just is wrong, fundamentally wrong. If you're too tough on me, me and my people are not going to come on. According to Mr. Rove, that sort of punishment is fundamentally wrong. That's something the Bush White House would never have done. Right, former Bush White House Press Secretary Dana Perino? Believe me, there were some people who really wanted me from the podium to go after MSNBC, and I, I just thought it was a bridge too far. And not only did you not go after them, you gave them interviews, as did the president. Sure. Gave them all interviews. You read well, Ronald Reagan's diary. Well, towards the end, we didn't do a lot with MSNBC. Oh, yeah. Right. MSNBC was frozen out at the end of the Bush administration, and Bush administration officials now admit it. The Bush administration had media wars of their own. You remember back in 2000 when President Bush said this about a New York Times reporter named Al Adam Clymer. Oh, yeah, big time. After that, would it surprise you to learn that President Bush never did one interview with the New York Times during his entire presidency? Not one in eight years? And it wasn't just freezing out news organizations that they didn't like. It was paying conservative columnists to write articles that were favorable to their agenda. It was calling on fake reporters during White House news conferences that lobbed softball questions. It was publicly attacking NBC News for its reporting on the Iraq war. It was even threatening to arrest and prosecute New York Times reporters for reporting on illegal spying. You know, you can be upset with Keith Olbermann and with me all you want for attending a meeting at the White House with the president, but if we're going to fight about this, let's at least start with getting the record straight here. If we could sit together a moment and talk forever just to pass the time, I would smile as the shivers in
will fill the metro skies with country air. And when you close your tired eyes, I'll meet you. TV, but uh, last night, <laughs> a huge night for cable uh, television news. Item one, 7.08 p.m., the big story breaks. This will be my last broadcast here on CNN. I'm grateful for the many opportunities that CNN has given me over these many years. I've tried to reciprocate with the full measure of my ability and my energy. And that's why it especially pains me that I am being replaced by a Mexican robot. <laughs> Sweet irony. <laughs> and then he was gone. Just like that, Lou Dobbs, gone. Why? There's got to be a reason. Over the past six months, it's become increasingly clear that strong winds of change have begun buffeting this country and affecting all of us. Oh, <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. Lou Dobbs is going Palin. He's going rogue. Lou Dobbs is saying the problems that we are facing are too important for me, Lou Dobbs, to stay at my job. I'm going rogue. We got another rogue. That's two rogues. Two. That's Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. And then the uh, one there is Lou Dobbs. By the way, that is actually to scale. Uh, Lou, Lou Dobbs has a sizable melon. <laughs> Almost comical. So, Lou Dobbs, how will you better do your job by leaving your job? And some leaders in media, politics, and business have been urging me to go beyond the role here at CNN and to engage in constructive problem solving, as well as to contribute positively to a better understanding of the great issues of our day. So in order to contribute positively to a better understanding of the issues of our day, you must leave your nightly television show <laughs> devoted to understanding the issues of our day. <laughs> I actually agree with you on that one. <laughs> hey, hey, wait, the Lou, Lou. You're not gonna go changing, are you? I will continue to strive to deal honestly and straightforwardly with those issues in the future and to continue to do so in the most honest and direct language possible. Now, if you'll all excuse me, me and my giant American flag screen, <laughs> we'll be on our way. <laughs> By the way, you're off to a spectacular start, Mr. Dobbs. Nothing says honest and straightforward better than a surprise announcement. You're quitting for reasons you can't explain to do something you can't discuss. <laughs> read between the lines here, it seems like Lou Dobbs might be feeling constrained by being on CNN, and not just by the fact that no one watches CNN. The suffocating network wouldn't let him be as honest and straightforward as he would like to be. How muzzled was Lou Dobbs? The American way of life, our constitution, our individual rights under assault. I don't think that we should have any flag flying in this country except the flag of the United States. There are those who claim that he was born dumb in a different country. I don't know what the reality is. No yeah. one does. The Obama administration's socialist agenda. Excuse me, you're, you're, if you will permit me. I, I call him a blood-sucking leftist. I don't think there should be a St. Patrick's Day. I don't care who you are. Well, we wish you well and look forward to hearing what you really think. And from all of us here at The Daily Show, buena suerte, mi amigo.
time a former member of Rupert Murdoch's management team has claimed she was told by a higher-up that the purpose of Murdoch's money hemorrhaging newspaper, the New York Post, was to, quote, destroy Barack Obama. Our fourth story, that is part of a former editor's full-spectrum lawsuit against the paper after she was dismissed after she had complained about a racist cartoon the Post ran about Obama last winter. Former associate editor Sandra Guzman is suing, claiming racism and sexism are also rampant inside the Post, led and protected by Murdoch's top editors. Guzman says she was fired after her objection to this cartoon, which depicted the president as an escaped chimpanzee shot dead by white policemen. When that became public, her criticism, capping a history of her complaints about racism and sexism there. The Post says Guzman was terminated because her section had been canceled. Her suit has no merit, the paper says, and the charges are groundless. What charges? Take editor-in-chief Carl Allen, alleged to have shown a picture of a man displaying his genitalia to four female employees, smirking when they objected, the Post ignoring complaints about that. Allen alleged to have rubbed himself against the female employee, making sexual remarks about her breasts. Allen saying the majority of people protesting his chimp cartoon were uneducated, that Guzman was listening to Al Sharpton. Then there was the senior editor who offered a copy assistant a reporting job in return for oral sex, the columnist who sang West Side Story songs at Ms. Guzman, the Post policy to use white female models for its section covers, and the News Corp senior pre vice president who routinely stared at female employees' breasts and buttocks while licking his lips repeatedly called Guzman sexy as well as, this is what passes for repartee there, cha-cha number one. When Ms. Guzman complained, Carl Allen screamed at her. When she interviewed baseball's Pedro Martinez, Allen asked whether he had a gun or a machete. To the paper's credit, it never ran a planned cartoon, it turns out, that depicted Jews as sewer rats. But despite Murdoch's own apology for that chimp cartoon, Guzman says the Washington bureau chief of the Post, Charles Hurt, told her that the paper's goal, quote, is to destroy Barack Obama. We don't want him to succeed. With us tonight, as promised, Ms. Guzman's attorney, Ken Thompson, a former federal prosecutor. Thanks for coming in tonight. It's a pleasure to be here, Keith. Um, I'll confess to being far less uh, concerned with or surprised by the sexual or the racial allegations, not that they don't matter, but what surprises me in there is that quote from the Washington bureau chief about destroying Obama. That seems to me to matter the most journalistically, uh, even politically or culturally, if you will. To, to your knowledge, was that an isolated incident? No, it was not an isolated incident. It was actually a part of a pattern in practice at the, the Post and its parent company, News Corporation, to basically try to undermine and destroy the first black president of the United States of America. And the way you can see that is not only did Charles Hurt make that comment to Ms. Guzman, mm -hmm. but they ran this very offensive, dangerous cartoon depicting our sitting president as a dead chimpanzee, knowing full well the history in this country of black people being portrayed as gorillas, mm -hmm. apes, and monkeys. And they did it, Keith, with full knowledge that it was offensive. Jesse Angelo, the manage, the white managing director at the Post, told people that he knew that the cartoon was offensive before they published it. And you just alluded to the fact that Carl Allen said that they're, the people who are protesting are uneducated. No, he said something more racist than that. He said the majority of the folks outside who were protesting this despicable cartoon were minorities, and the majority of them are uneducated. Um, this raises, though, a point about about this place and what is always looked for in a, in a lawsuit of, of this case: uh, corroboration in some way, some some witness testimony that will that will back up the claim. To what degree is the Post, based on your uh, development of this case, a white boys' club, a frat house kind of thing? And thus, is there likelihood to be corroboration of Ms. Guzman's claims, whether the sexual, racial ones or the political ones? First of all, Keith, if you look at this the diversity we have in this great city of ours mm -hmm. here. And then you look at the newsroom at the Post. Mm -hmm. They have one black person as the editor. The vast majority of the editors at the Post are white males. How is that possible? And when you have white males who will allow 
their employees of color to be denigrated. We laid it out in the complaint. And you ask about corroboration. We certainly will be able to corroborate Ms. Guzman. You have to understand, they fired her on September 29th. We have been preparing this lawsuit. It is a very important lawsuit mm -hmm. because Sandra Guzman must succeed. Because if she succeeds, other women and people of color who currently work for the Post will also succeed. So yes, I will call witnesses who will corroborate her, corroborate her testimony, mm -hmm. and they have already helped me, Keith, get this far. Rupert Murdoch himself is not a defendant in this case. Is there a reason for that? Does it suggest that he is somehow not responsible for what goes on at the New York Post? Keith, he's not an individual defendant yet. Oh. As you know, everything rises and falls mm -hmm. on leadership. You have Carl Allen, who Mr. Murdoch brought over from Australia in 2001 and put him as the head of the newsroom, showing an offensive picture where a man's genitalia was hanging out and doing other offensive things to women and people of color. Now, how could that be? He must have had comfort to believe that his boss, the chairman of News Corp, would find that that was okay. So we filed the lawsuit to yesterday mm -hmm. based on what we had today. But Rupert Murdoch is certainly responsible for this racist and sexist environment. So stay tuned about whether he will be able to avoid this lawsuit. As soon as you're born, they make you feel small. from cable news last night there was another story one that actually concerns our humble program here on tuesday night we did a little bit about sean hannity's program or to call it by its official name the greatest program that has ever given to a people by god <laughs> it concerned the super bowl of freedom that michelle bachman sponsored on capitol hill uh, on sean's show mr hannity and ms bachman discussed her rally and for no apparent reason then started showing images of glenn beck's much better attended 912 rally not acknowledging that the footage was different, but in fact commenting on how robust the crowd was, even though Bachman's rally took place on a sunny day in fall, and this rally appeared to take place on a cloudy day in summer. So, we thought that that was funny. <laughs> because we finally had a literal manifestation of what we feel is the metaphorical methodology of the entire Fox network which of course is the subtle altering of reality to sell a preconceived narrative, which I imagine, which I imagine Fox decided was not as catchy a motto. So, now we received a word. I have chiggers. So we received a word that Mr. Hannity was going to address this issue on his program last night. So as you can imagine, I rushed home from my seminar in soybean composting with my Angelou, which we do at my food co-op, which is run out of the back of my local gay bar. So I ran home and I turned the video camera on myself to immortalize the look on my face if and when Sean Hannity spoke about this error. And as you can imagine, I prayed desperately that he would do it early in his program. But it's starting. It's starting. Oh, Mr. Cuddles. Joining me now is the host of War Stories, Colonel Oliver North, who is hey, it's that guy who was convicted of a felony against the United States. What do you make of the fact the president of the United States can't even say that this is a, an act of terrorism? What we ought to be calling it is just that oh, terrorism. All right. All right, right. But we, we have the FBI. In of course, it's not that simple. 
but okay, okay. You've had Bob Hamer, who investigated NAMBLA. You know, it was not politically correct to call NAMBLA what it was until Bob Hamer the, did that investigation. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Finally. The whole country was pro-NAMBLA until, until Hamer did his expose on NAMBLA. We all love NAMBLA. And it took the FBI a year to declare that to be terrorism. And now you've got the FBI. We knew all of this, including the email communications, for about a year. Wait. Yeah, and the strange. They knew a year ago. His colleagues raised red flags about. Bush was president a year ago. Wasn't pursued by the. Which president should we blame? The FBI has a relationship with groups associated with the Muslim Brotherhood. A radical jihadism that is out to undo what we are as a people. Disconnected, paranoid, schizoid, and even belligerent. Massive shortages of H1N1 vaccine. This is a public health disaster. The government didn't produce enough of it. Is this the same government that now? has the capacity to take over health care. Meanwhile, children have died. Right, there, there are some parents that don't want to vaccinate the kids, which, by the way, everything the government touches is bankrupt. He was citing Quranic chapter and verse for jihad. Uh, he was warning against what he called so-called adverse events. Radical Islam and Islam. Wahhabi lobbyists. Radical jihadism. Muslim soldiers gone wild. This is the biggest tea party I've ever seen. And finally tonight, although it pains me to say this, John Stewart, Comedy Central, he was right. We screwed up. It was an inadvertent mistake, but a mistake nonetheless. So, Mr. Stewart, you were right. We apologize. <laughs> it wasn't worth it. <laughs> Nothing's worth sitting through this. <laughs> Obviously, I think we should say something. He didn't have to apologize to me. It, it, it's not like he disappointed me. I expect that stuff. But I do want to address one thing that, that Mr. Hannity uh, graciously said last night. We apologize. But by the way, I want to thank you and all your writers for watching. Okay. It wasn't actually me or uh, uh, my writers who watched your show and, and, and caught that slip-up. It was actually one of our younger producers, a kid right out of school named Ramin Hediati, and, and we're very proud of him. And uh, I just wanted to give him the credit for catching that. Ramin, come on out here and take a bow, will you? Ladies and gentlemen, Ramin Hediati. Uh, he's the one who caught that on there. And uh, we're, we're delighted uh, that he did it. Ramin, thanks for being here. Ramin, uh, obviously you haven't been here that long. When, when did you graduate from college? Last June. Right. And that makes you, you're, you're 23 years old. Uh, I will be 23 next month. Great. Uh, now you've been watching Hannity for us every night now for five months. Yeah. Well, we... We appreciate you taking the time to do that for us. It was a great catch. And, uh... Kill me. I'm, I'm sorry? Kill me. Ramin, I'm sorry, but this is, this is your job, and it's a tough job, and we uh, well, uh, appreciate it. And... Uh, be a man. <laughs> and... And get me out of here. <laughs> Ramin Hediati, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll be all right. Perhaps it's just imagination. Day after day, it reappears. Night after night, my heartbeat shows the fear. Ghosts appear. streets smell the desperation at least there's pretty lights though there's little variation it nullifies the night from overkills mark halperin and joe scarborough and mika's in there as well talking on morning joe about how the obama white house is not reaching out to republicans enough this makes me want to pull my hair out.
Uh, instead, after we watch this, I'm going to go on the war path. So here you go. This is a guy that never seemed to take control of those early Hillary debates. This is a guy that never seemed to do what everybody wanted to do. And it worked out very well for him when he was campaigning for president. But campaigning for president and being president, Mark, are two completely different things. He can't split the difference anymore. He can't wait for uh, history to catch up with him. He has to make history. He does. And the other thing I think he's, he's doing wrong in, in that exact point in terms of history is he's not being seen consulting with Republicans on this. This is a decision. He doesn't needs, consult with Republicans. And, and, and on health care, that may work out fine. On this, I don't think it is. He needs prominent Republicans to support his decision. And all these deliberations, he's being seen inside the administration. This must be a, national, a decision of national unity where he brings in the other side. I don't see that happening symbolically or practically. And I think that leaves him vulnerable can, no matter what name, he does. Can you name one Republican that has a relationship with this president? an ongoing daily relationship with this president. Ray LaHood, the Secretary of Transportation. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's just his fault. I'm sorry. It's, it's not just his fault, except but, that oh, the president, the onus is on the president. The onus is on the president, Mika, and everybody always says, well, gee, you know, it's the Republicans' fault. Let me tell you something. I'm not something. blaming them. I'd say it takes no, two to make it. A no, it, I can tell you in Washington, D.C., it takes one, and I will tell you why. Because every one of those Republican senators or congressmen would love a call from the president. I've been there. I've seen people say, I hate Bill Clinton. I've never talked to Bill Clinton. Hey, where were you yesterday? I was uh, golfing with Bill Clinton, and uh, he's a good guy. The president <laughs> has such power, but he's not using it. He's not using it to reach out to Republicans. I know people on the left say, well, ignore the Republicans, screw the Republicans. But as I've been saying since day one on the stimulus, it's, it's the most Machiavellian thing he can do, is take a few Republicans, pick them off, bring them in, say, listen, I can deal with you guys. And then he can be seen as a bipartisan. Well, but he doesn't do that. Yeah. Imagine two scenarios. Well, he announces helpful. it standing there by himself or with Democrats in uh -huh. his administration. Or imagine him standing there with John McCain or other prominent Republicans on national security. It paints such a different picture. If he's with the Republicans. I completely agree with you. But I also think that... You think he's headed to do that? You know, it sounds like he doesn't want to be there forever. And that's the first step toward maybe a, a very dramatic decision on this war. There, She's referring to the Afghanistan war there, of course. Um, let's start by pointing this out. They are obvious, disingenuous liars. Okay? Uh, all of them. They think he didn't reach out to Republicans? He spent months on top of months reaching out to Republicans. And they know that. They all know that. You think they don't follow the news? They know that. And they say, oh, well, he didn't do enough. You don't know that every single Republican that he reached out to, they slapped his hand. He reaches out and they smacked it. And they smacked it. And they have said on the record over and over again, we won't work with the president. We want to destroy the president. We want to make sure that the president gets none of our votes on all the major issues and almost all of the issues. In fact, they're going to filibuster every single thing he does. Now, these guys get on here and lie to their audience and pretend that the president isn't trying hard enough, and that if he just did, the Republicans will play ball. What they're not letting you know is there is a way to work with Republicans if you give in to them. So if you say, all right, you know, how are you going to get John McCain on that stage? You say, John, how do you want to kill health care reform? And he's going to tell you, well, look, make sure you take out the public option, take out uh, any, in, we know what the Republican proposal is. Instead of covering 56 million people, cover 3 million new people. Instead of covering, uh, getting rid of pre-existing conditions, let insurers keep doing pre-existing conditions. Instead of lowering the price uh, and providing real competition, don't provide real competition. Keep premiums high. Well, then that isn't health care reform. The price of working with Republicans in this case is to not do reform at all. And they've said that. It, it, when you ask some of the Republican leadership, and we've run the clips for you on the show, what will it take to get it done? What if we took out the public option? Would you be on board then? They said, no, nothing will get it done. Nothing. Even if you took out the public option and you took out three other things, we still wouldn't vote yes on it. So Mark Halpern there is a goddamn liar, okay? And he lies on purpose because I guess he's a Republican, or he's an absolute 
tool of the Republicans. He's so stupid that he couldn't tell a Republican talking point when it's shoved up his ass. Okay? But I don't think so. I think he's just a flat-out Republican, and he tries to purposely mislead his audience. Okay? Oh, Obama didn't reach out to Republicans enough. Tut, tut, tut. It's Obama's fault. All he had to do, according to Scarborough, was invite him golfing. He invited them to the White House. He had dinner with them. He did everything. And they still said, here, here, here's my no vote. And I, they rubbed it in his face. Those guys don't know that. They know that. They're trying to deceive you. And then they go around claiming that MSNBC is the liberal counterweight to Fox. Joe Scarborough, a former Republican congressman, some have said that he might consider running against Obama in 2012, has a three-hour block on MSNBC in the morning. And who's the counterweight to that? Mika? What was her big contribution there? Oh, I agree with you guys. I really agree with you guys. But, you know, maybe he wants to make a different decision on Afghanistan. Way to be strong. Really appreciate that. <sighs> and then Maria Bartiromo's on the set, too. And she says, uh, like, if he just brought a business guy into the administration, maybe that would show that he's reaching out to Republicans. Yeah, Tim Geithner and Larry Summers are not pro-business enough, right? The Obama administration inherited two very difficult wars. That's why I don't think there's anybody out there that could have predicted that they would start a third. The Obama White House's war on Fox News. White House officials lobbing verbal grenades at Fox News. The battle that's going on between the White House and Fox News. No end in sight to the war between the White House and Fox News. <laughs> that's not hyperbolic at all. And this war, like the Civil War and World War II before them, were started by White House Communication Director Anita Dunn. <laughs> That's right, she started World War II. <laughs> and the shot heard round the cable world. The reality of it is that Fox News often operates almost as either the research arm or the communications arm of the Republican Party. Oh, no, you did not! No, you did not! Oh, Fox News often operates almost as either! Oh, <laughs> Them's qualified, somewhat, not necessarily fighting, but certainly words. And it was on. You've got the White House talking to Fox News like they, like they want to censor it. It's clear censorship, and it, it's, in my view, abuse of power from the White House. They need to understand that they're not in Chicago anymore. It's oh. like a cabal. Yeah. I likened it to what happened during the Cold War, when the Soviet Union especially tried to jam the signals of the Voice of America and Radio Free Europe, other entities that were trying to pump truth into the Soviet Union. Holy... So Fox News is the voice of America, and Obama is Stalin. <laughs> oh, my God, that makes me Yakov Smirnoff. <laughs> what a country. Actually, that was Cal Thomas of Fox defending freedom of the press from government intimidation, as he did sitting in almost exactly the same seat over a year ago when Ed Gillespie, President Bush's counselor, wrote a letter criticizing MSNBC for pretty much the exact same thing Anita Dunn criticized Fox for. Tell him how oppressive the Bush administration is too, Cal. 
What has taken the Bush administration so long? Just seven months or so before they leave office, they're now taking on the media. Yeah. They should have taken on the media a lot sooner. But I got, well, huh? <laughs> Obama is Stalin, but Bush was stalling. <laughs> I'm a bad writer. But for all the talk of Nixonian, yeah, I, I hear you. We were gonna go with What the Fox, but we didn't know. For all the talk of Nixonian intimidation tactics, Soviet-era radio jamming, and the wisdom of declaring war on a media outlet, one question didn't seem to really come up that much, which is, yeah, what is Fox? I know, let's ask Fox. Fox News Senior Vice President Michael Clemente released a statement that said, in part, it's astounding the White House cannot distinguish between news and opinion programming. The average consumer certainly knows the difference between the section of the newspaper, the A section of the newspaper, and the editorial page. Well, actually, that's... To be fair, the average consumer hasn't opened a newspaper since 1997. <laughs> so that's... Yeah. They're smart, but they're not dumb. But according to Fox, their weekday news programming, and this is according to Fox, runs from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. for a total of nine newsy hours a day. So uh, uh, let me, uh, for the audience here, help you out because it, it, it does get confusing. The three hours that you spend in the morning with Fox and Friends, not news! <laughs> Your 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock post-tea and crumpets Neil Cavuto break, not news! The 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock emotional whirlwind and national group therapy session that is Glenn Beck. Mm. Not even close to news! O'Reilly, Hannity, Van Susterninenen, not news! This is according to Fox News. Those people, the ones featured in promos about how fair and balanced Fox News is, are not news. These people, otherwise known as the only people you ever think of when you think about Fox News, are not news. They're Fox opinutainment. Apparently Fox News are these folks, or as they're known, who the f are these folks? That's Fox News. See, these guys are the straight news team, brother. They deliver the facts and nothing but. President Bush uh, spent much of his eight years in office fighting terrorism. Uh, President Obama undoing some of those efforts. Yeah, not to worry. It's, there's nothing a little taxes can't solve, right? Just increase the taxes. That's the answer, isn't it? <laughs> of course, he was talking about the economy. It's important to point out that before the president began talking, we don't know if there's any correlation, the Dow was up 28. The Dow, by the way, is now down 28 points keep our eyes focused on that yeah we don't know what the happened uh it was up he started talking and went down we're gonna keep our eyes focused on that unless it goes back up and then we're gonna talk about something else because I'm really the truth is the news side of fox and the opinion side of fox are like the mcdlt the hot side stays hot and the cool side stays cool but when you put them together and eat it well i think you know what ends up happening here's how they work together i can show you how the news and opinion side work together to give you that delicious news sandwich it's february and one elementary school in new jersey has an assembly during black history month the kids sing songs, the lyrics of which were sent home prior to the assembly for parents' approval. The songs are about some notable African Americans, some American presidents, and Barack Obama. The assembly goes well, and no one complains about the content. Although, talent-wise, to be fair, the name of the group should be Manu Don't. All right. Smash cut. Seven months later, Fox News springs into action. We are trying to get some answers about a video that is getting attention on the Drudge Report. See, that's the news part of Fox. They're just trying to get answers. And the school won't respond because 
it was the last school year when it happened. <laughs> but either way, they're not saying it's a bad thing. They're just saying it's an important, urgent, disturbing thing that we need to find out more. We don't find out how we should feel about the event until we've crossed the vaunted news opinion equator, or as it's known at Fox, the international hate line. I have no patience for indoctrinating or taking advantage of a, of a captive uh, group of youth. This is like what the Chinese did with Chairman Mao. Mao would be proud. I can't stand indoctrination. I That's cannot. What this, is. this is indoctrination yeah. of kids. This is the stuff they use in uh, almost Nazi regimes to indoctrinate young children. Even if you voted for Barack Obama, is this what you wanted popping up everywhere? Yeah. yeah. Is it popping up everywhere on one network? Yeah. From one school seven months ago? But the pot has now been stirred on the opinion side of Fox. The journalists on the other side of the wall are starting to smell something delicious. Is that a story? And thus release the news hounds. Alleged political indoctrination in U.S. schools. Teaching students a song in praise of President Obama. Some parents were shocked and accused the school of indoctrination. People compared the performance to school indoctrinations in countries like North Korea. Public school officials in Burlington, New Jersey, are being accused of indoctrinating their students. Yes, they are being accused by the guy whose show was on right before you. I'm, I'm amazed he didn't bring it up to you. When you had lunch. Didn't they mention it to you in the cafeteria? <laughs> See, the Fox Opinion guy's outrage becomes the some say source for the news side. It's a perpetual revulsion machine. <laughs> this thing is so teed up now for the administration of Obama. Especially for a pro like Obama advisor Valerie Jarrett, she's going to knock this out of the park. Do you think Fox News is biased? Well, of course they're biased. Well, of course do you, they okay, are. Done and done. Thank you. <laughs> now, make a little joke about it and move on and we can all go about our business. Do you also think that MSNBC is biased? Well, you know what? This is this is a thing. I don't want to, actually, I don't want to just generalize all Fox is biased or that another station is biased. You don't want to generalize? You just did. What was that, the old you from eight words ago? <laughs> just say, of course, MSC is, is biased, but they agree with us. So we're not fighting with them. <laughs> and by the way, MSNBC wishes they were as good as Fox. They're the Toledo Mudhens to the Fox's Yankees. Yeah. MSNBC doesn't even realize their morning show's hosted by a conservative. <laughs> Obama administration, do you even know your role in all this? I think that what um, the administration has said very clearly is that we're going to speak truth to power. What the f***? <laughs> truth to power? You're the White House. You're the power. Here's how it goes in the truth to power statement. It's your job to fuck up power. It's Fox's job to fuck up truth. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now, first of all, for those of you who've been you know, listening for at least the last five episodes, I just want to come right out and say I don't have any big news for today. Now, that doesn't mean you should stop listening. Just be prepared. I know you've, you've come to expect that every episode comes jam-packed with some mind-blowing news here at the end, but not this time. And if you're a brand-new member and you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, do yourself a favor, go back and listen to the previous five episodes in the podcast feed before this one. It was, an, it was an amazing run of big news, just one after the other after the other, and uh, good times were had by all. I, I mean, frankly, I'm exhausted from that, so it's nice to just have a calm day. So just off the top, I want to mention owners of the Best of the Left iPhone and iPod Touch application available in the iTunes App Store for just two bucks 
are going to definitely want to enjoy the bonus content for today's show. It's actually the precursor to what you heard when Sean Hannity was apologizing to Jon Stewart and The Daily Show. Uh, it's, it's a great clip from The Daily Show, but it's extremely visual. So it just it didn't make any sense to, to play it in the audio version of the show. So members, of course, uh, already got that in, in their raw feed, so they could have seen it there. But now, anyone with the, the iPhone or iPod Touch application can see it right in the bonus content for this episode. So definitely check that out. Secondly, you know I have to mention the Podcast Awards. It's a marathon. I'm tired of talking about it. You're tired of listening to it. But that's what they want you to think. They're testing us. It's an endurance competition. It's to see whose audience is most dedicated, who's most involved. And so forgive that I have to keep harping on it and do what you can to show that this show's audience has what it takes to be the most involved, the most engaged, and and beat up on those other shows like This American Life and all those other shows we're up against. Because it's not just us. We have the backing of the Young Turks, who's, you know, they've got the, the, the Young Turks army helping us out. We're helping them out. Who knows what's going to happen? We, but we got a real chance here. So podcastawards.com every single day. Set an alarm create a little bookmark in your browser, do what you have to do, and tell all your friends, of course. Vote for the best of the left in the best produced category and the Young Turks in the political category so that uh, we can propel ourselves to uh, greatness and stardom. And especially help out the Young Turks, I mean, because they're up against the likes of Rush Limbaugh, so failure there is not an option. Now, usually at about this point in the show, I would start talking about memberships and how they support the show and, uh, you know, basically do my best to humbly beg for uh, either donations or, or memberships and give all the great reasons why you should become a member. But we have a special treat today because an actual member, you know, these people I'm talking about all the time, he actually sent in some audio because he didn't just want to help by be being a member. That wasn't good enough for this guy. He wanted to help by encouraging you as well, and I just can't thank him enough for it. So here's what Mike has to say. Hi, my name is Mike. Could I have your ears for a real short rant? This message is totally unsolicited. In fact, the only way you could be hearing my message right now is because Jay heard this very same recording and gave me a little space. So thanks, Jay. Hey, talk about penny-pinching in this economy. I've whittled down a normal middle-class existence to my current bare-bones income, and I do it on early Social Security retirement. That's 25% less than regular Social Security. $5 is a lot of money to me, but I consider it important enough to give those dollars to Jay every month to further his great program, the twice-weekly Best of the Left podcast. So if you could possibly squeeze a subscription into your budget, do it. Hey, if I can come up with a fiver every month, I think most people can. And if you can't, keep listening, do those free things that Jay asked you to do, and then subscribe when you can. Thanks. So there you go. Obviously, I couldn't say it any better than that. Huge thanks to Mike for that, uh, that glowing endorsement. I also want to thank a couple other members. Uh, Paul V signed up just a few days ago, but wanted to mention him because he went above and beyond the minimum donation just because he's feeling generous. And uh, so Paul V signed up on November 17th. And uh, then going back to uh, last month, Sam A signed up on October 16th. And I wanted to mention that Sam took advantage of the yearly membership discount. So, you know, it's, it's obviously great that he wants to support the show for a whole year. And he's taking advantage of the fact that he gets to save a little bit of money in the process and still get all the benefits of membership, knowing he's supporting the show, as well as access to the Best of the Left raw feed, where you get all the clips that end up in the show, a bunch of bonus stuff that never makes the final cut into the show, and about 80% of the stuff in that feed comes in its original video format. So you get the Young Turks and Rachel Maddow and Keith Olbermann and The Daily Show and Colbert, all that stuff, the video clips along with the audio. So that is it for you today. You can support the show hugely just by telling, you know, I, I usually say five friends, but why not go ahead and tell all your friends, just every single one of them about the show. Spread the word. Leave five-star reviews for the show in iTunes. 
uh, five-star reviews for the application if you have it. And of course, vote, 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 vote every single day at podcastawards.com. Best of left nominated in the best produced category. You can stay connected between episodes via twitter.com slash best of left, facebook.com slash best of left, and sign up for our email newsletter, which is, it, it comes out very rarely. It's very uh, unobtrusive and, and non-annoying as possible. And finally, links to the music and sources used in this and every episode are always found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend, thanks to the members and donors from bestoftheleft.com. Shining sheep, the only man.